Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand, please, and affirm the promise that is related to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break all evil burdens and sin that binds us. May in the service be cursed as before all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, ignorance, selfishness, all of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy people and stand, Lord, on the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness, and may your saints be clothed in your salvation. May they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and allow us to find your holy face. I present this service into your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. I will read a place of scripture that is known to all of us and which has contained the depth of the wisdom and the riches of God which are not yet known to us. Sometimes a citation or a formula, formula is familiar to us but that what is contained in it is far known to us. There is not one place of scripture that can be perfectly known. I saw the limits of all perfection, said David, but your commandment is measureless and boundless. There is no measure, uh, no length, no depth to that riches, to that richness that is found in this commandment that we will read together right now and that is known to us. Matthew chapter 5, verses 45 and 48. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called, Called to Perfection. We know that this promised commandment is the inheritance of the saints of all time, and it is addressed by Christ to His disciples. So, to those people who acknowledge over themselves the authority of God in the face of a specific person whom God has established and not the one whom they have selected by way of a disgusting majority vote, and therefore those who do not accept the authority of the person sent by God have no relation whatsoever to the inheritance of this commandment. And in connection with fulfillment of the commandment to be vigilant over the word of God in our heart, as God is vigilant over the word spoken by Him in the temple of our body, we stopped at studying the following question. 
What specific goals is the righteousness of God in our hearts called to pursue, and in particular on the fact that the purpose of the righteousness of God in our heart, accepted by us in the broken tablets of testimony, in which we, in the death of the Lord Jesus, with the law, died to the law, so that in the new tablets of testimony that signify the resurrection of Christ, we can receive justification so that we can live for the one who died and rose, so that in this manner we can receive affirmation of our salvation in the new tablets of testimony that that depict for us the resurrection of Christ, so that God can give us a promise to be heirs of peace through the righteousness of faith, just as he had given it to Abraham and his seed. For the promise that he would be the heir of peace was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith, Romans 4.13. When we are talking about how it was given it not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, we're talking about it in the singular sense. In this seed, we are referring to the Son of Man. So, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, in the status of the Son of Man because it is specifically to Him that all the promises are given. We enter into the inheritance of Jesus Christ and the blessings of Abraham we receive through Jesus Christ. And therefore, the covenant of peace in a warrior of prayer is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God in the words of the messenger of God, not those whom we have selected, but those whom God has established. Sometimes we might not like them for some reason, but God has chosen them for us. We will need to note for ourselves that this is a man of God and that we must act toward him just as you act toward God because he represents God. God had wanted this and desired for this. This didn't depend on man, this depended on God. Why did God do this? Because God wanted to show to His people that He is God. And if He is God, He is not going to give a group of people that might be able to govern over us. He is one God and He will give one person, one God, one man. Of course, in the head of a carnal person, they can't figure this out. How do we acknowledge in him the representative of God to submit to him as to God? That's why I said, those who do not have upon themselves the mantle of a disciple of Christ have no relation to the inheritance of this commandment. And therefore, the question, according to what sign should we test ourselves to see if we have the reign of the peace of God in our heart, which identifies us as the sons of peace, and as holy unto God. We know that to test our hearts for the subject of the reigning peace of God should be done by the ability to be a peacemaker, which characterizes us as sons of God. And to be peacemakers, it's necessary to have the peace of God in ourselves, to have the state of peace that cannot be violated or cannot be uh, diminished by any losses. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. This place of Scripture is repeated numerously in the prophets and the Psalms, in the Gospel, and in the messages, the letters. Six signs according to which we could judge of our partaking to the sons of peace were already the subject of our study, and we have stopped to study the seventh sign. This is by our ability to clothe our essence into the holy 
or selective love of God. Of course, a carnal person can't understand, well, how can one clothe oneself? How can one put on the garments of the love of God? Uh, specifically, a holy love. Holy means selective. Holy love, that's why it is holy, because it selects or it separates from what is holy from what is unholy, what is uh, pure from what is impure, good from evil, the righteous from the lawless, and because it, laws, it loves the righteous and hates the wicked. This is the perfection of the Heavenly Father. This is what it means to shine with our sun and to pour out our rains on the just and on the unjust, just as the Heavenly Father does. He doesn't have a tolerant love. He has love towards His children. Imagine this. Sometimes we are taught that we must love everyone. But God says, well, I don't love everyone. I love only my children whom I have, whom I have birthed. But the remaining, they are nothing and no one to me. And He talks about Israel. I have, will give all the nations for your soul. I will give up all the nations in order to save you. Therefore, uh, from the fact that you see that uh, the Muslim nations suffer under the hands of the American self-will, this is a process of the will of God. We might think this way and that way. We might conduct wars where millions of people are destroyed. Millions are left without a house, without a home. Why? Because this is due to their relationship toward Israel. They challenge Israel and they challenge the church of God. What you want to act with Israel with challenge or the church with challenge and you want to bless these kind of people? God uplifts some kind of country and with the armor of this, of, of, of this country, He will go against these that challenge Israel. In Scripture, there's a place in Scripture the weapon in his hand is my wrath and I will send him against my against the people with my anger he had uplifted uh, the Assyrians given them a weapon and sent them against the people that were challenging who he had wrath over so that this government Assyria could f fulfill this role therefore America is blessed so that you know God will thank America for the fact that she has submitted to the voice of the Lord and destroys and leads these kind of destructive wars. So we might say, well, what is this? If we uh, think politically, we might see it differently. But let's look from the position of Scripture. Some God uplifts and others He brings down. If people will understand that this is God who does this with His hand, then God will have mercy on them. But if they think that, oh, this is me, this is my hand that has done this, that God will then give these people, allow them to know who has done this. And therefore, but above all else, put on love. We are talking about the love of God, agape, which is the bond of perfection. It you know that there is no perfection in this world. Any sociologist, philosopher will tell you that everything in the world is subjective. There is nothing that is perfect. 
because a person constantly strives toward perfection, constantly tries to new, open something new. But the nature of a person is not just uh, in, imperfect, but it becomes destroyed. A person begins to be tied to, to evil, to all kinds of sin. And the reason is in the fact that when you put leaven in the dough, it begins to ruin. There is a leaven of righteousness and a leaven of sin. Two different kinds of leaven. The kingdom of heaven is like the leaven that a person put into three cups of flour, her spirit, soul, and body, until holiness grasp her spirit, soul, and body. This is the kingdom of heaven that grasps not just our spirit, but that saves our soul and saves our body. Sometimes people thought that leaven is only an image of, of sin. I thought, well, the kingdom of heaven is sin. When I t spoke to these people, they didn't want to agree with me. I said, well, a lion from the tribe of Judah and the lion that walks around roaring, wanting to destroy. One lion is an image of Christ and the image of the righteous because righteousness is courageous of the lion and the other one is an image of Satan who, who represents the bloodthirstiness of the lion. Christ represents the courage and the and the lack of fear, whereas devil represents the bloodthirsty part of a lion. We must understand that leaven is like a seed. There is not a lot that is needed, but the seed that we hear, when we accept it, it begins to grow under the condition that the soil of our heart is cleansed of dead works. Our good soul is cleansed. If it is not good, you may throw whatever kind of seed of the kingdom of heaven. It won't be able to find its place there because the soil is not uh, is not acceptable for the seed. We need to prepare ourselves to hearing the word of God when we go to worship unto God. We need to be prepared to accept all that the Lord tells us so that we can immediately fulfill that which we will hear. And so in scripture, the holy or the selective love of God, agape, it's presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture in the light of seven unearthly dignities and properties through the preached word of the apostles and prophets, which according to their nature are the unchanging properties of the Heavenly Father. This is virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly love, and love. This is written in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2-8. through 8. This is, These are components. These are not individual fruits this is one fruit but it has these ingredients in it this is the state of our heavenly father you might say well what he has all of this well then why does he need why does he need brotherly love well, he loves he loves those that are his own you see here does it say love towards the world Nowhere in Scripture do we see that God has loved the world. You will say, well, what are you talking about? What about John 3.16? For God so loved the world. But this is a translation. For God so loved the world so that whoever believes in, in this world does not perish but have eternal life. So how has He loved this world that only one who believes is saved? Therefore, the translators should have translated this correctly. This is a translation. For God 
so loved every believer in this world so that every believer shall not perish but have eternal life. This is going to be a rather correct translation because the meaning is contained in there. But the first uh, we pay attention, for God so loved the world, and people say, God loves everyone on the basis of this. One person at one point had told me, I don't agree with you with what you preach that God... Uh, God loves everyone, and if He were to know that not one person would save them, He would still have sent His Son to this world, because He loves this world. I said, well, God is not a foolish person. If any businessman knows that the money which he places into circulation will uh, will perish, he won't he won't place them into circulation. He places them into circulation so that this money can bring him income. God, who has superior wisdom, will he give his son up for death? Will he place into circulation, give himself up in his son to death, and not save anyone? No, this doesn't exist. Scripture says that as the rain and snow fall and don't come back, but they fulfill that which they have been sent to do, just as this, just as my word does what I send. It does not return back to me without, uh, it will do its work. It will not come back with nothing. And the result, we and churches like us across the face of the earth, this is the result of the fact that God is a good businessman. He has, he is able to invest himself. He doesn't invest some kind of money, but he invests himself. He invested in his son in us so that he can gain us as a belonging. He has loved us before the creation of the world. Therefore, he has not loved the world. The world is condemned. The world is the enemy. Do not love the world or anything in this world for all that is in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father. John wrote this. One apostle wrote, For God so loved the world, and then writes, Do not love the world. You, we must read correctly. In a certain format, out of the seven available characteristics of virtue, which God has, or this heart of God, which we must also have, we must be just as God. Our heart must be like the heart of God because we have been born of the seed of the word of truth. We have already looked at five properties and have stopped to study the sixth one. This is the calling to show the unearthly power, brotherly love in our faith. We for long now have stopped, for a long time now have stopped to study. People think, well, what is brotherly love? They ask, well, what is, it's not what is this, the presence of this noble component and the testimony and demonstration of our faith transfers us from the state of eternal death to the state of eternal life. We know, writes Apostle John, we know, not we feel, not we, no, we think, we guess. We know faith is knowledge, is information that comes from hearing the preached word. We already know. Therefore, uh, despite what we feel, knowledge is not always tied with what we feel. We might feel one thing, but knowledge is something completely different that is called to lead our emotions after itself because our emotions oftentimes go not where they need to go. We need to bridle our horse so that he can be a war horse of the Lord Jesus. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. 
He who does not love his brother abides in death. We must know how to love our brother. People don't understand, well, how do we love the brother? Well, I love, this is an emotion. I love him. I worry about him. Well, okay, why are you worrying about him? You have 10 shirts and he has one. Can you give him your new, your new shirt? Not an old one, but a new one. If you love your brother, or if you have something to eat and he doesn't, can you share with him? As one was told, I love, I will share. He says, you have two cows, give one. Oh, this isn't written about in scripture. And so, whoever does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. He who hates his brother. Hatred towards our brother comes from envy. Envy is a murder. And we, including myself, were all born with this envy. We were all born with a genetic inheritance of envy. It must be uprooted. We must, the old man who represents this black envy, to tie him. People have understood this. Or people, uh, there's some that don't understand how to type their old man. They don't like it when someone has uh, married well, who has found something new that was well. They don't like success. For success produces this envy. We must rejoice to the success of our neighbor. Love rejoices when someone receive something, has something. It rejoices as if she has received it. I will say before the Lord, I rejoice when one of you receives something more than I receive it. In the literal sense of the word, I thank God that He has blessed someone. And when I see this, not to be envious of Him, and so in this regard, as in the previous components, the virtue of God and His goodness to us, which we are called to show in our faith in seven components, we had to answer four classic questions. God has taught me, given me these four classic questions, and He says, take these four classic questions to, toward any kind of truth and begins to look at, study it on the basis of these four questions. When you place... What scripture says right now, we're talking about the power of brotherly love. What does scripture say about the power of brotherly love, which we are called to show in our faith? We must define, define the essence of brotherly love. What purpose is the power of brotherly love called to fulfill, which we must demonstrate in our faith? What conditions must be fulfilled in order to receive power to show brotherly love in our faith? And fourth, by what science should we test ourselves for the subject of the fact that we demonstrate in our faith the power of brotherly love and not some kind of forgery, not some kind of uh, cur uh, courtesy. Usually there is courtesy when there is no love, but we had to show our smiles, our teeth, and be courteous. Because in the world there is no love. Even if they have love, then it is evil, it is stiff, it is selfish. This isn't the love of God, agape. 
human love always uses another person, always tyrannizes him with his love. And so we have looked at the first five signs according to which we can judge that we demonstrate in our faith the power of brotherly love. We have stopped to study the sixth sign. So practically, we are already studying the fourth question according to what signs should we judge that we demonstrate the power of brotherly love and have stopped to study the sixth sign. This is according to the ability to be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer with supplication and thanksgiving to make our requests known to God. Philippines chapter 4 verses 5 through 7. Let your meekness be known to all men. Let your meekness be known to all men. You might say, and so let your light shine before the people. This means that if we do not have the fruit of meekness, then we are not a light to the world. Meekness, let it be known to all men, because meekness, meekness is an unearthly property. It isn't found in all people. It's found in the children of God. Why? because it comes from the Heavenly Father and the seed of the preached word. Our Heavenly Father is meek. His Son is meek. The Holy Spirit is meek. Meekness is the ability to bridle ourselves with the word that comes from the lips of God. This is what the essence of meekness is. This is not that I have, uh, I'm scared and I'm silent and I can't give an answer. No, I give an answer, but I give an answer in such a way that I can break any kind of bone. A meek tongue breaks the bone because in it contain, is contained such a strength, such an almighty strength of God. This is when the lips of a person are bridled with the truth of the word that is hidden in his heart, that is engraved in his heart. The Lord is at hand. Be a light to the world. Continue to reveal and show meekness in your answers, in your questions, in your relationships, not just with one another, but with all. And furthermore, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Considering that these desires or requests are the desires of God, sometimes a person reading this might say, oh, any request God will fulfill? Okay, Lord, I want this sister. And he begins to pray about her, Lord, give her to me, and he sees a dream, and that's it. And then all of a sudden she marries another. No, she will still divorce and she will still be mine. God has shown me. Why does a person have such an incorrect uh, thinking? Because he thinks that God fulfills his request. God has promised to fulfill his request. God has not promised to fulfill the requests of man. He has promised to fulfill his requests in us. His requests are the truth that are hidden in our heart. And he will fulfill these requests when we begin our prayer with uh with thanksgiving, making our requests made known to God. They have become our requests. And then scripture says, and then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He will not allow you to exit under the shadow. He will allow you to be found in Christ Jesus. The people of Israel go along the wilderness. They are found under the cloud. And if someone uh, left 
from under this cloud. They were destroyed. They had perished. Amalek had chased them. He was afraid when they were under the cloud. He always waited for someone to, to stray away. This is an image of being found in Christ. What does it mean to be found in Christ? What is the church? The church is the body of Christ. To be found in Christ is to be found in the church. This is not in any church, but only in that church in which is preached the intact truth. And an intact truth can be preached by that person whom God has established. Because he has made his face the face of a lion, courageous. He has spoken to his prophets. Don't say that you are young, that you are weak, and that you don't have uh, fame. I will make your forehead stronger. They are going to against you, but they will not overcome you. When I began to say this, there are sisters that came to me and said, Brother, don't say this. You are you are ca causing the whole religious world to go against you. I said, yes, I call them out. I call them out to challenge. Let the whole religious army rise. My forehead is stronger than theirs because God has made it so. This is not my pride. This is my humility. My humility before God. Therefore, the peace of God can be in the heart of a person. Only, I repeat, when he has a meek tongue, when he has grown the tree of life in himself. And in this place of Scripture, the character of the fruit of the Spirit discovering itself in the property of meekness through which we are capable of bridling our lips with the truth hidden in our heart is placed opposite the character of the works of the flesh that discover themselves in the property of disobedience to the truth or unbelief. Usually people say, we are freed, we have our own head, we have the ability to think, therefore we for ourselves choose that person, that person that is going to flatter our uncircumcised ear. Of course, they don't say this directly, but scripture says, he whom you select, he is going to flatter your uncircumcised ear. The ability of the meek tongue to be anxious for nothing in the sphere of earthly well-being is opposed to the anxiety of a person whose lips are not bridled by the bonds of meekness. As written, a meek tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Proverbs 15.4 You see, it turns out that having a meek tongue is the result of the fact that a person has taken off the old man, has renewed his thinking with the spirit of his mind, and has begun to call the inexistent as existent, the inexistent power of life in his body. And in this manner, he has grown in his heart the tree of life. And the tree of life has begun to express itself in his meek lips. He has begun to bridle himself with the truth that is found in his heart, with that very same truth that God bridles himself with. God sends his truth not just somewhere, it is addressed to the temple of his body. God magnifies his truth, his word, only in the temple. It says that God has magnified his name above all other name in his temple. And what is the temple of God? We, together. Do you not know that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit under the condition 
that you have made yourself a temple. When we are born of God, we are not a temple of the Holy Spirit. Our body in this time is not a temple of the Holy Spirit. We have a new man, but our carnal man remains. He has remained with that occultness that he had, with those habits, those inclinations, and that genetic inheritance that he had inherited. And therefore, our new man, in order to save, to be saved, it is necessary for him to save his soul and to save his body. If he does not save his soul and his body, he is going to perish. Our new man is going to perish. And for him to begin to save it, he needs to grow in the full measure of the stature of Christ. And when it is explained how he is going to come to the full measure of the stature of Christ, this will begin in the moment when he acknowledges that first, there is nothing good that lives in him, that he needs to take off the old man with his words, with his works. And what does this mean? This means in the death of the Lord Jesus to die to our nationality, so to our nation, to the house of our Father, and to our corrupt desires. And when we do this, and when we proclaim considering ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, then the Holy Spirit, along with Christ, gives us the opportunity to endure His resurrection. If we have endured His death, He gives us the opportunity to receive our soul in a new format. And then our spirit, cooperating with our renewed mind, can bridle our body. Our tongue begins to bridle our body. The words, our words are transformed, are materialized. We speak the words of faith and not the words of what we feel or what we are told. Sometimes people come and say, he told me this, she told me that. I oftentimes say, well, is he a pastor? No. Well, then why do you come and complain? Did I tell you to do this? No. Well, then go and rejoice. This isn't true what he has said of you. Why are you so scared? Sometimes people are scared when someone tells them, we still have quite a bit of people who do not understand. Instead of lifting up a person higher, they drown him. Instead of upholding him, supporting him, they push him. They tell him such words that kill him, that uh, cause him wounds, cause him pain. Of course, this isn't brotherly love. Brotherly love is when you, before saying something, you will think about how will this word, uh, how will this word act? Is it going to bring him up, support him, or is it going to drown him? We might say, I'm telling the truth. Well, who give, has given you the right to speak this truth? Because to speak the truth is a right. You can speak it only when you care responsibility for this person. If I care responsibility for a person, then I will bring this truth to him in such a way that it's going to uplift him and it is not going to perish him or cause him to, to drown. So firstly, anxiety leading to the breaking of our reborn spirit, it is written, perverseness and it breaks the spirit so the lack of a meek tongue makes our tongue unbridled and our unbridled tongue causes our spirit to break it kills our spirit therefore anxiety are the genetic bonds of fear passed on to us through the sinful seed of our fathers 
which we are bound by, because we did not grow in the soil of our good heart the fruit of meekness, with which we could bridle our lips, which would be a sign that we are showing the power of brotherly love in our faith. If we are capable of bridling our lips with the truth that is hidden in our heart, with the intact truth, this means that we have brotherly love. We must, we must test, do we have a forgery or do we have brotherly love? Because it is what brings us from death to life. Secondly, anxiety which a person is bound by is the result of his stiffness, which is identical to the occult resistance of the liberty of Christ that is contained in the truth of the preached word that is called to free us from slavery unto sin. The liberty of Christ is liberty from sin. Liberty, it doesn't mean I say what I want, I do what I want, I go where I want. This kind of liberty or freedom never existed, never and anywhere. God even doesn't have this liberty. God is not free from His Word. He has spoken the Word, and that's it. He is now dependent on it. He is not just dependent, He becomes a servant of His Word. You see, in God there is no liberty. In God there is a decision, a choice. God makes a choice to say this Word or not. He knows that as soon as He says this Word, He will become a slave or servant of this Word. Same thing here. We must understand that there doesn't exist freedom, true freedom. There exists the freedom to choose, to choose the kind of slavery we are under. We choose either slavery unto righteousness or slavery unto sin. I have given you the opportunity choose death or life. I want you to choose life. But unfortunately, many people have chosen death. They have chosen what their head tells them. This disorderly conduct, this unacceptance of order, this is disobedience. And therefore, that is why this kind of anxiety is a result of occultness that resists the liberty of Christ that is contained in the preached word that is called to free us from slavery unto sin in order to make us slaves of righteousness, able to bridle our lips with the truth hidden in the heart. This kind of anxiety points to the bad soil of the human heart, which he refused to cleanse from dead works. He is told, that which you preach, that which you go and evangelize, that which you give all of what you have, this is not God doing this through you, this is your flesh. Because many think that if they have done something, if they have sacrificed something, that's it. Now someone uh, is now obligated to them. If God has sent you, then God is going to reward you for this. But if you have sent yourselves, you have made yourselves gods. Is God going to reward a person who has taken the place of God, who, instead of worshiping God, has begun to worship himself? He himself has begun to choose what is good for him, what is evil. He himself has begun to choose who to go preach to, who not to. He leaves his nationality, his language, his people with which he can speak with his own language. He goes to some kind of uh, unknown place, to Nigeria, and speak to them in English through a translator. The Nigerians don't know the English language either, and he thinks that he is bringing them some kind of Christ. Well, what can you call this kind of a person? You know, in the English language, there is a word called foolish. Is a synonym for foolish. Well, how else can you call him? Foolish person, Scripture calls him. 
That is why if a person has refused to cleanse his heart from dead works in order to accept and to grow the fruit of meekness in his heart, and we see this, when we compare the meanings that are contained in these two words that are opposite of one another according to their character and according to their origin. So cares and meekness. Cares that discover themselves in anxiety in Hebrew means disobedience, disbelief towards the preached word, disobedience to the faith of God, the tongue not being bridled, by meekness, cult, stiffness, the snares of the evil one, the path of death. And the meekness that discovers itself in a bridled tongue, in Hebrew, means the tree of life, the obedience of our faith to the faith of God, is wisdom, strength, firmness, power, trust in God, mercy, compassion, the snares of the kingdom of heaven. The snares of the kingdom of heaven that we have found ourselves by way of proclamation when we proclaim not what we feel, not what we see around us, but that which God says. We see in the invisible sphere, we take this word that we hear and we begin to proclaim it, accept it. As soon as we hear, we say, Lord, let it be to me according to your word. As soon as you have said this, the word that you have heard is the seed. It has fertilized you. And now, in you begins to cultivate this promise. There is time that is needed. It is cultivated, and then you will give birth to it. But it is already in you. That's why you are already able to call the unborn as if it is born. Why? Because it is already there. The inexistent as existent. Why do we call the inexistent as existent? Because it exists in the fourth dimension. It is already in my heart. Therefore, anxiety is expressing disobedience, disobedience to the order in the body of Christ, which classifies a person into the category of lawless people who oppose the truth of the preached word and try to clothe the deeds of the flesh in the garments of external piety, whereas the meekness of the heart, discovering itself in meek lips, is a definition of the fruit of the Spirit, testifying of the presence of the tree of life grown in the spirit of a person. A meek tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. The presence of the fruit of meekness in a person is evidence that this person is clothed in the dignity of a disciple of Christ, which gives him the ability to resist the words that come from his own flesh so that he can open his lips for the proclamation of the faith of God that dwells in his heart. I was not mistaken when I said we must resist the words that come from our flesh. Oftentimes we say the word that is from our flesh and when we say it, we say, oh, what did I say? Why did I say it? You see, your flesh has spoken and you have understood it and because you have understood it, you immediately resist it by saying, Lord, I do not agree with this word. I take it back. That's it. And this word no longer has an opportunity to move further, to do something against you. Because any kind of word that comes from the flesh is the word that is turned against you. We say, I do not agree with this word. I take it back. You don't need to come to me and, and confess 
You don't need to come and confess. I said this and that. I say to all who come and confess, if you begin to smoke, do drugs, drink, to commit adultery, to steal, then you do need to come and uh, confess. But if you say words, not the kind of words that you should say, take them back and say, Lord, I thank you that you have given me the ability to take my words back. I did not agree with these words. Did not pay attention to these words. I do not agree with them. But what if you said this address to our spouse in the same way? We can immediately say, forgive me, my dear one. I did not want to say this. This was an incorrect word that I've spoken. I refuse it. I reject it. This might not happen right away. There might be 15, 20 minutes. Sometimes there's an hour or two. Sometimes three or four days. Sometimes a week passes. Sometimes two weeks. Sometimes a month. And then after a month, finally a person comes up and says, My dear one, forgive me. Remember I had said this before. Forgive me. I didn't want to say this. But the quicker, the faster you say it, take it back, the faster you will trample on reigning sin in your body. Come to me, all you, la- all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is what Christ said towards his disciples who are found in difficulties and who are burdened by the words that are found on their lips and by that inheritance that they have received from the vain life of their fathers. And he says, pay attention, look at me, how I learn the meekness from my father. I see how my father bridles himself with his word and acts in the limits of this word. And so I also learn to bridle myself with the words of my father so that I can act and speak in the boundaries of those words which the Father has spoken. He says, take this yoke, take this burden, it is good. It brings comfort. It is not a difficult kind of burden. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Good. It is good in that it gives healing because this yoke is the word of God. Take that word that I have taken upon myself as a burden, as my burden. This is my burden. It is light. It is good for me. David says, it is sweeter than honey, and honeycomb is your word for me. That is what our yoke is. It is not difficult to carry it. It comforts. It heals. If we accept it upon ourselves and we begin to proclaim it, To take upon ourselves means to proclaim it. And when we proclaim the will of God in relation to ourselves, it begins to heal us. And so, to define in ourselves the presence of meekness that discovers itself in trust in God and His Word and waiting for the salvation of our body, it is necessary for us in brotherly love to pay attention to a specific phrase in this sign that we are studying according to which we can distinguish meekness from unbridledness and prudence from foolishness. This is according to our ability to open our request before God in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving under the conditions that these requests are bridled with the bridle of meekness, which expresses itself in the desires of God that yield the will of God. 
It is a format of praise in which we, submitting our faith to the faith of God, consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, calling the inexistent power of life in our body as existent. It is thanks to the presence of a grateful heart that is able to make its requests known to God regarding the fulfillment of the will of God that we should define in ourselves the presence of the fruit of meekness because we can turn upon ourselves the favor of God only when we present in our praise our body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which gives God the basis to show and affirm in us His salvation, to affirm the salvation of our soul and the salvation of our body. Whoever offers praise glorifies me, and to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. Psalms 50:23. So to whom does God reveal His salvation? As I will give this salvation. I will lead him, I will show the salvation, lead him into the salvation. He who order or he who offers a sacrifice of praise, who he who thanks God. Because when we thank God for that which we do not yet have, then this is a sacrifice. Because we in fact suffer from sin, but we thank God for the fact that we don't have sin. We act in a way that we don't have sin and we don't have unclean desires and we say, Lord, I thank you that you have delivered me from reigning sin, from my lusts. Let your mercy be blessed and your goodness be blessed. May the power of life be erected in my body. And in your feelings, you feel something completely different. And therefore, when this occurs, this is like a sacrifice that we bring unto Him. And then we give God the opportunity. We give Him the basis to reveal to us His favor in His salvation, as an answer to the sacrifice of praise that we offer to God. It becomes for us a guarantee of the fulfillment of our calling over our enemies. And so we needed to remember the criteria with which Scripture defines the essence and status of the legitimacy of praise called to be a sign of brotherly love. Specifically, if we have praise which we offer to God and it is legitimate, it is lawful, because we are righteous, then only this can be a sign of brotherly love. Because if we don't have this, then we won't be able to show brotherly love toward one another. Second, the purpose that befitting praise is called to fulfill in demonstrating the power of brotherly love in our faith, the conditions that lead our praise into the status of legitimacy, according to which we can judge that we are demonstrating the power of brotherly love in our faith. We have already studied the first three questions, and we will turn to studying the fourth question or the first component of this question. By what signs or what result, according to, can we, the results according to which we can judge that the praise which we offer to God is present in an atmosphere of brotherly love which brings us from death to life. And the first sign according to which we can define the essence of befitting praise that comes from our heart in an atmosphere of brotherly love that brings us from death to life. It is called to be tested according to our ability to turn to the Almighty in the subject of building ourselves in a spiritual dwelling in a holy place. If you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. You will remove iniquity far from your tents, and you will lay your gold in the dust and the gold of Ophir among the stones of the brooks. So, under these images, we mean money or Truly, if you have bought money, silver, precious stones for this money, or some kind of investment, some kind of expensive car, all of this is under the image of this gold. 
and the gold of Ophir, when you change them, uh, when you convert them to nothing, meaning that for you, the word of God is your gold, and the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver. For then you will have your delight in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. You will pray to Him, make your prayer to Him, He will hear you and you will pay your vows. You will also declare a thing and it will be established for you, so light will shine on your ways. When they cast you down and you say, exaltation will come, then He will save the humble person. You will stand before them and it will protect them. For me, it always gave me pleasure to protect people who are offended in the church. I always stood before the oppressors and the one who was oppressed. And the oppressors were often highly placed people in the church. And those who were oppressed, they were considered as nothing. I remember one sister came to me. She was crying. I was still very, very young. I was 20 years old. I came and I call her by name. I won't name her, and I ask her, why are you crying? What happened? And she says, this sister, and this sister was considered as a standard for everyone. Past, the pastor compared himself to her, and he depended on her opinion. Uh, she said that she's the face of the church, and I am the behind. And she was crying because of this. I said, oh, you're crying because of this? If she was able to say this, then these words could only have come from her behind. Then you are the face, therefore. And I went. The service began. I came up to this sister, and before everyone I said, on what basis did you offend the sheep? From where did you get that you were the face? And she said to her directly, the behind. she called her that you're the behind. I said, this came from you. I said, everyone had heard this. She says, she says, she said something to me in, in disarray. And I left. And the sister who was oppressed, she felt protected. Of course, I should have done this differently, but I came stiffly. I then didn't have the wisdom to come to these religious people in order to also not offend them, in order to show them that you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't offend the other person in saying this. Why do you lift yourself up in such a way over him? Yes, he doesn't have that wisdom, those clothes that he has. He doesn't have these capabilities. It doesn't mean that you should oppress her. Therefore, when this says that, uh, when they cast you down and you say exaltation will come then he will save the humble person he will deliver one who is not innocent yes he will be delivered by the purity of your hands to test ourselves for the fact that our body is built into a house of the Lord and that the praise that we offer God expresses itself in atmosphere brotherly love that brings us from death to life should be done according to these ten components the removal of iniquity from our tent, the ability to lay the gold of Ophir in the dust, to call the Almighty our gold and precious silver, to delight in the Almighty and lift up our face to Him, the ability to be heard in prayer, the ability to pay our vows, the ability to fulfill the things we have declared, the light will shine on our ways, the ability to see exaltation in being cast down, and the ability to be delivered by the purity of our hands. 
Studying the essence of each of these components and defining the essence of befitting praise coming out from our pure heart, we test ourselves for the presence in our faith, the atmosphere, brotherly love, that brings us from death to life. With regard to this, we have already studied six components, and we will turn to the seventh component. It is the ability to fulfill the things we have declared that are contained in the perfection of our salvation for our soul and for our body. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May He send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May He remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. May He grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. We will rejoice in your salvation. And let all the people say, Amen. Because uh, may the Lord hear you in the day of trouble. These were the words that were spoken by uh, the priest to the people, and the people in response had to say, Amen. We will rejoice in your salvation. In the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. David, being a priest unto God, had turned to God and had said, May the Lord fulfill the supplications of the people, the petitions. May He hear in the day of trouble. May He protect. And if we are partakers of the sanctuary in Zion in the face of a good wife, from where our help comes, then this means that the praise which we offer God is present in the atmosphere of brotherly love, which brings us from death to life. Eighth, the shining light on our ways means the presence of the promise in our heart in the rising sun of righteousness, in the rays of which is our healing and our ability to trample the wicked as ashes under the soles of our feet. This is what the rising sun of righteousness over our ways means. But to you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall arise with healing in his rays, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves, and you shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Under the phrase, the sun of righteousness shall arise with healing in his rays, should be viewed as the erection in our body of the power of imperishability and the clothing of our body in the new man. If we have accepted this promise that relates to the door of our hope in the shining of the light upon our ways, then this means that the praise which we offer God is present in the atmosphere of brotherly love, which brings us from death to life. Ninth, the ability to see exaltation and being cast down means enduring temptation to rejoice in the Lord. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. This rich person, his richness is going to pass away, for no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures temptation when he is oppressed. For when he has been tested, or approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. James 1, 9-12 Under the image of exaltation which we boast of during our humiliation should be viewed as our exaltation in Christ Jesus over the humiliation that comes from those that envy us. 
they uh, oppress us and you look at who you are in Christ Jesus. God has exalted you and has placed you in Christ. Don't pay attention to those people who oppress you. Let the one who is oppressed ex exult or rejoice in his exaltation. These words must not bring you to sorrow, but they must bring you to a point where you begin to thank God for your exaltation in Christ. I thank you that you have placed me in Christ according to on your right side. Glory be unto your name. Let people speak of me, but I will praise the Lord and who He is for me and what He has done for me. And therefore, to boast of our position in Christ Jesus during our humiliation means to endure temptation in order to be tested for our faithfulness and trust in God and His Word. If we understand the significance of the temptation in which we suffer humiliation from carnal and lawless people in the midst of our congregations and boast before God of our position that we have in Christ Jesus, then this means that the praise that we bring to God is present in an atmosphere of brotherly love that brings us from death to life. And tenth, the ability to be delivered by the purity of our hands means to love one another just as Christ loved us. Because under the hands we oftentimes mean the words, the words that we say. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your tongue has muttered perversity. Isaiah 59, verses 1 through 3. The sins that turn the face of God away from us, says not to hear our prayers, consist in this, that instead of showing brotherly love in our faith, we hide envy in our hearts which expresses itself in hatred towards each other, and in this way we defile our hands with the blood of our neighbors. If in the death of the Lord Jesus we died to our people, to our Father's house, and our carnal life inherited by us from the sinful seed of our fathers according to the flesh, this means that the praise we bring to God is present in an atmosphere of brotherly love that brings us from death to life. Amen. Let us bow our heads, who is able to bend our knees in prayer, and we will thank God for that word that we were able to have today that has prepared us, that has prepared us for us to be able to draw near to the body of the Lord and to eat of it, to eat of His blood and eat of His flesh in order for us to have life in us. Christ has said that if you eat my body and drink my blood, you will have life in you. But for this it is necessary to correctly partake. And when we correctly partake, when we prepare our hearts, only then will this occur. And we will remember that this is a celebration. And therefore, let us bend our knees and pray. And if someone's heart was tied to sin, was not ready to participate, you've done something uh, before the face of the Lord, you were able to come out here, up out to the altar, and He will cover with Himself, with His Son, Jesus Christ, your transgressions, He will remove them from you, He will throw them, and He will blot out your transgressions and restore you so that you, without fear, with joy and with 
courage, can eat of his bread and drink of his blood. Amen. We wait for you out on the altar. I will pray along with you with your prayer and I ask you to deeply believe that God is for you his heart is directed toward your heart that is wounded by sin he continues to love you even more despite the fact that you have sinned he despises the sin that you despise and you and he is ready to deliver you from sin and to cleanse you right now your eyes closed this is an element of a mystery room your hands raised to the heavens a sign that your hands are without anger and without doubt pray along with me heavenly father in the name of jesus christ i come to you on this holy place which is your congregation I open my heart, my sin, my pain. I despise sin. Despite the fact that I am dependent on it, I love your word. I want to be dependent on your truth and on your spirit. Forgive me, wash me, cleanse me. I accept your word in my heart. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that according to your word, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, I am saved. Your sins and transgressions are forgiven you in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May He come down upon you with His holy countenance and have mercy upon you. May He give you peace. May around you fall thousands and tens of thousands around you, but do not draw near you. May all of the blessings of the ancient hills and everlasting mountains come upon you. May all of this come upon you and upon your descendants and may be fulfilled upon you. And let the nation say, Amen. Blessed is the Lord who is vigilant in the temple of our body over his word. That which you have heard and that prayer which I have spoken under inspiration from the Holy Spirit on the basis of the word is fulfilled. You are cleansed before the face of the Lord. And it doesn't matter what you feel. It doesn't matter what Satan is telling you in this moment and the thoughts that attack you. You must know that you are washed. Your sins are blotted out. And you are ready 
to accept and to partake in this great supper. Let us sing together that it is not a coincidence that we are here. It is not a coincidence that we are here. The Lord has united us together. He has washed us in His blood and has given us His forgiveness. Now we stand before Him, before Him, before our Lord Jesus Christ. Every day, every hour, blessings He pours out on us. We thank you, Jesus. Every day, every hour, He rains His blessings upon us. We thank you, Jesus. Help us to live our life, Lord, as you have taught us, to live according to faith and hope, to serve one another with love. Now we stand before him, before him, before our Lord Jesus Christ. Every day, every hour, he pours out his blessings upon us. We thank you, Jesus. Every day, every hour, he pours out his blessings upon us. We thank you, Jesus. We praise Christ, for He has died for us. Death has been overcome by death, and victory has been given to us. Now we stand before Him, before Him, before our Lord Jesus Christ. Every day, every hour, he pours out his blessings upon us. We thank you, Jesus. Every day, every hour, he pours out his blessings upon us. We thank you, Jesus. I will read a place of scripture, the letter of Apostle Paul to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. 
The Heavenly Father had accepted these words as a feast. And this was a feast of the Lord. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Death, the death which he had overcome with the death in our bodies. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. We together are going to pray regarding the body. And in this great mystery, can participate all of those that have made a covenant of God and made a covenant of blood in baptism and water. This is not regarding children. They don't need baptism and water because God imputes to them this covenant. When a person or when a child is born, he eats from his mother, he drinks her milk. Despite the fact that he is not yet circumcised, yet he uh, he drinks of it. In the wilderness, they also ate that manna or that milk that was gathered and that was eaten. We're going to pray for the body, our eyes closed. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for, for this great, wondrous law, the law of life that you have hidden in this, in this bread. You have shown us your body in this bread, which was broken for us so that we can be delivered from all kinds of sins, from all kinds of curses, and from all kinds of illnesses. Therefore, when this bread goes to the rows of your people and we will eat of it, may your blessing come down upon your inheritance. May we feel the healing power and the energy of your life. May all of this come upon your inheritance and be fulfilled upon it. Amen. And the Lord took it, broke it, and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He, that row that is approached, stands, the rest may sit. Each time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes.
to worthily partake. The Holy Spirit through Apostle Paul said that we must discern the body of the Lord. The body of the Lord is the church, our relations, to discern regarding our correct relations. It's very important to discern and to prepare these relations, to pre be prepared to re for relations. Each time I am given the opportunity each time I am about to have a conversation, I pray to God to give me the words to help uh, dig out this person from the from the situation that he is in. Therefore, in conversations with another, we must pursue the goal of helping a person and to lift him up. Do not ever tell him anything that could wound him. Begin to do this you will see what will happen. God is going to cover us with His healing because the Holy Spirit has revealed to me and I pray that the Lord heals all of us and He has opened to me. I want to do this long ago for a while now, but I can't because they continue to wound one another, to bring pain. When they cease bringing pain and when they begin to do this, through their words, I will begin to heal them. First and foremost, God is going to heal. If you heal someone with your word, then God will heal you. Do not spread evil gossip towards one another. This is what it means to correctly partake in discerning regarding the body of the Lord. For each time you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. You are proclaiming that the Lord with his death, he has overcome the death in your bodies. You must understand this thought and you must in yourself say when you eat of it, Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you have destroyed the power of death in my body because this body destroys the power of death and it becomes the power of life in your body because it is physical and our bodies are physical. God has given us this physical bread but has contained in it the power the power of the spiritual dimension and therefore each time you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death in your bodies you don't just proclaim it to someone for whoever you proclaim it for yourselves this is important because when you say it to someone oh okay this doesn't give a benefit neither to you or him it's a benefit when you say this in yourselves I thank you Lord for your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you have given as a sacrifice for me and have lifted him up for my salvation. And now he lives in me as a stronghold of life. And I call this inexistent as existent. It's pleasant for God to hear this because he has already done this and he has placed it on the account of each of us. I will ask you all to stand. And we are going to pray regarding the cup of the new covenant that is poured out for the restoration of the sins of each of us. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for this cup of the new covenant that is poured out for the restoration of our sins. When it goes through the rows of your people and when we drink of it, may in us come upon, may 
Upon us come your healing power and may it destroy every illness. May it swallow it up and may your life be manifested in our bodies in this spilled blood for us. We thank you for this cup and we bow down before you, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. That row that is approached may stand. You serve one another just as in the breaking of the bread. Now we remind you that the cup is Christ that is one for all generations out of which we drink. For each time you eat this bread or you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. who believes what has been spoken of us and to whom has been revealed the arm of the Lord for he has ascended before him as a bulb from a dry land there's no greatness in him and we have seen him and there was no form in him that would bring us to him and we turned our face away from him he was hated and we considered him as nothing but he took upon himself our weaknesses and took upon us upon himself our illnesses he does not promise to take them he has already done this. It is written, He has taken them upon Himself. Therefore, when the prophet wrote this, he then had not yet taken, but God, speaking with the language of eternity, has said that He has already taken because He, before the creation of the world, was pierced for all of us. That's why the prophet speaks with the, with the language of God, the language that is exalted over the past, present, and future. He says that God has already done this although in time he may do this later but for us he truly in time has done this two thousands of years two thousand years have passed we have not yet been and he has already taken our sins upon himself because he saw us in him when we hear the truth and when we go out to meet it he is going to give us his favor these are those people whom he has intended and predestined for salvation. By his wounds, we are healed. If there are those who have been mistakenly passed, please stand. If not, I will ask you all to rise, and we are going to proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. <laughs> 